Yeah, well, thank you very much, John and David. And ladies and gentlemen, um, thanks for coming today. It's a pleasure uh, to be here with you. Uh, it looks and feels remarkably like our editorial conference room uh, in London at 10 a.m. in the morning, uh, where you pitch the main stories for the day. Uh, but it's great for me to have the opportunity to share some of our thinking uh, at the FT. I will say as a disclaimer that uh, we are very much in an experimental uh, phase in the media industry and uh, I claim and the paper claims to have none of the answers uh, but we've got lots of the questions and I think we have got some things right but we've also got some things wrong uh, and I will try and lay out some of those today to you. Um, just as a, a prelude though I do feel that with John here um, he gave me a very nice introduction but uh, if I can repay the compliment by saying it's very nice to be with a uh, former uh, FT Moscow bureau chief, and as well as talking about the FT's digital strategy, we could as easily today be talking about Ukraine, uh, what's going on in Crimea, um, the West's um, response to that, what Mr. Putin's strategy is, um, and indeed whether we're facing today a new Cold War or not. Um, these are the issues that have dominated my life over the last few days in the newsroom. Um, and will continue to do so. Um, I think it's no—it's a little bit of an exaggeration, if you'll allow me to have it, that the, uh, the FT's digital strategy sometimes feels no less contested than Crimea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's not an... Well, it is an entire coincidence that on our front page today, I had no idea this was being printed until yesterday afternoon, um, that we've got a, a skyline on our pay, paper here saying Oxford University in desperate need of reform. Um, now, um, I recommend this piece, if you haven't read it already, not just because uh, you're, you're here at Oxford, we're, we're here. Um, it's by Luke Johnson, who's one of our columnists. Um, and I read it not because of what it says about Oxford, but how old institutions like the FT um, like Oxford, struggle to embrace profound change and offer more relevant services to readers or students um, or the world. And I'm going to quote Luke, if, if I may, to begin with. Um, he says, Better informed, empowered citizens are deserting old media because they want to participate rather than be lectured to. Um, Almost every industry I know is facing upheaval, from retailing to financial services to travel to pharmaceuticals to entertainment. So if I do nothing more today, I hope we participate rather than lecture. Um, but he also says the following, while old names often have assets and traditions on their side, they also have baggage. Issues such as pension deficits, the wrong infrastructure, hidebound cultures, an aversion to experimentation, legacy infrastructure, and a sense of pessimism. I can recognize those in my work working life, and I guess you can probably recognize them too. <clears throat> what I'm going to talk to you today about is probably already the stuff of MBAs, and it's very businessy. It's not Ukraine. It's not the news agenda. Um, but I should say, you know, I've been a, a journalist more than 20 years, and I'm now in a position where, you know, some responsibility around managing the FT, 
and it's incredibly exciting. I think this is a great time to be a journalist. It's a great time to be in media because the rules are changing. Our industry is, I mean, it's no exaggeration to say, facing seismic shifts. Our newsrooms are in a state of upheaval. The roles of journalists in the field are changing. And the business model um, that supports them is in real flux. Journalism is changing very fast, and it's not just changing fast in the UK or the US, it's changing fast everywhere, right across the globe, probably more profoundly in other places than, than here. But today what I want to talk about is the fragile business model um, that supports many of our, our jobs. And I hope to give you an insight into what managing editors in this era of whatever media organisation are grappling with. And the issue of profitability is so stark at the moment that many titles um, will not survive that we're familiar with. And we're already seeing, sadly, quite a few vanishing. But at the same time, we're seeing new titles coming up, things you've never heard, of, heard before. You know, the startups, startups that, like, I can name a couple, Courts, Business Insider, that just come out of nowhere and can be incredibly successful. At lunch, we were talking about what the, you know, the biggest single decision that the Financial Times made in this modern era. And I would point to one thing. Um, it decided to put up an internet paywall mm -hmm. to charge readers for reading, for consuming its content. Mm -hmm. That was the single biggest, most important thing it did in the past decade. And in retrospect, it was an incredibly good decision. And everything that I'm going to show you in my presentation kind of grows from that decision. Many people are giving their content away for free, um, which is great. It's great for readers, but it's probably not very sustainable. Now, we, charged, we decided to charge for content. We felt this as a matter of principle. We feel that what we offer is is quality journalism that we invest in, spend a lot of time doing, thinking about, paying for, that we couldn't just give it away for free. It's not a public good, although it is in some, case, in, in, in some respects. It's something that we had to establish the principle that people paid. And um, it's probably guaranteed our survival. If you haven't done this yet, in your media organization, I strongly recommend you do it. Because our lesson is that we've now got a profitable business model that we can pay our journalists and we can see a future for ourselves. We're not digging into a bottomless pit um, of debt. So, if you were to come back with me tonight on the six o'clock train to the newsroom, uh, what would you find? You would find um, people putting the paper together for evening deadlines that you're probably all familiar with. And you come across sub-editors um, who are worrying about their future, who are thinking, how long is the newspaper, how long is this going to be around for? And in the conversations that we have, they kind of, there's a sort, of, a sort of running wager on how long the paper will be around for. So some people think it'll only be around for three years. Some people think only five years. 
Some people think it's got more life in it because it's a niche business product that does financial and geopolitical news um, that already has quite a small readership, but people are prepared to pay. But people are counting the days that newspapers are going to be around for. Now, I know that's not, we've, we've come back from India recently, and it's completely different there. There's a, there's a print future there, there's no doubt about it. South Africa's probably the same, because you've got growing numbers of literacy. But in other markets, like our own, people are switching very, very, very quickly to mobile readers. Um, and you'll see a bit more of that. So people, whenever the chief executive of the Financial Times gives a presentation, that question always pops up. Like, how, how long are you going to carry on printing the paper? Um, there's a lot of talk. As I said, if you come back to the newsroom tonight, people will be talking about new journalism. Um, new journalism is different from old journalism, of course. Old journalism, when um, I was starting out of a, as a journalist at the FT, you had a few, you had about three options. You had a 450-word news story, you had a 750-word news and analysis story, and you had a 1,400-word feature. And those were the three gears you essentially had if you were a news reporter on the FT. John will be very familiar with this. Um, and if you were lucky, you got let, let loose on the magazine or you got let loose on a slightly longer piece that could creep up to about 1,800 words or 3,000 words. Now, I know this because it's all word. It's all the number of words. This is, you could almost measure it with your finger. How much column inch am I going to get? You could measure it. And this is, this, these were the, this was the medium we, we worked in. That has completely gone, or it's going, actually. Um, new journalism is much more short-form journalism. Um, it's about Twitter. Um, it's about um, impact, being on the story first, building a story. So you just don't write a Moses-like tablet you participate with your reader, you talk to them, you crowdsource information. Um, it's a different kind of journalism, but it's short form. A lot of it is short form. People are reading us in short form. If they're more interested, they read short form first and then they go to long form and they want to know what a commentator is, is, is writing about. But the buzzword that we have is engagement and engaging with readers. And this is different, all our, co our columnists struggle with this because they're used to the Moses-like tablet, <laughs> the stone tablet. But now they're being asked to, you know, once Gideon Rachman or Philip Stevens has been asked to, you know, they've written a column, it's published, then they get all sorts of comments coming in and they're asked now to moderate the comments and say, well, actually, you're talking rubbish or, you know, this is a really good point and actually this is what I use, this was my source material. People want, as Luke Johnson said, they want to participate. They don't just want a lecture. Um, and finally, what you would find in the newsroom is that there's less money about. Um, there must have been a golden age for journalism. It's not now, although I said it was very exciting. <laughs> Um, we are pretty tight in terms of our revenues and the decisions we have to take. It's pretty tough. We have to make awful decisions like do we have a Taipei correspondent or not, and we decided not to. Um, now, 20 years ago, that would have been a major heresy. Um, it's not any longer. We have to make very binary decisions about which parts of the world we cover and what we don't, which parts of the economy we cover and 
we don't. We can't cover it all. That's what we've learned. So I'll give you an example. It's a tension at the heart of the paper. Ukraine, you know, the Ukraine crisis breaks. The news editor comes to me, the deputy editor comes to me and says, um, we're going to spend money. And I say, no, we're not. <laughs> um, this could go on for six months. It could go on for se several years. Let's just send our best people in. And you know, we've got someone in Crimea. We've got someone in Kiev. We've got someone in Kharkiv. We've got somebody in Moscow. You know, that's enough. Let's just calm. So. Um, let me start with some stats. We're in an era of data. It's important to see, see, you know, see what's happening. Now, when the FT released its financial results last week, this is what it, how it read, which is unusual. It's unusual. Profits went up 17% in 2013. That's really unusual in our business. It's not, a, it's not a story of profit. It's not a story where you really want to invest or buy media assets, I'm afraid, unless you want it as a calling card. Um, and revenues went up just 1%. So the business isn't growing, but the profitability is. Um, and the reason for the growth in profitability is pretty well one thing. It's digital. Um, digital content and a little bit of improved circulation margins. Now, these are improved circulation margins because circulation is falling of print, and our margins are going up. So the mix, digital revenues account for 55% of FT group revenues. In 2008, that was only 31%. So you can see the growth. You can see the growth. And content revenues, and this is versus advertising. So content revenues now represent 63% of revenue. And advertising is 37%. So what does that mean? That means people subscribe to the FT and we can survive on subscriptions. It's like an academic journal or something. You can survive on subscriptions. You don't need advertising. And that is a critical thing in our business model because newspapers forever have been very, very dependent on advertising. Um, total circulation grew 8%. So this is digital and print. Mostly I see statistics where circulations are going down, not going up. Um, and we have now 625,000 subscribers. It doesn't sound a lot if you're from Japan or India or China or somewhere else where much, much bigger circulations. 625,000 subscribers online and in print. And believe it or not, that is the highest paying readership that the FT has ever had in 126 years. So it's getting bigger. It's not getting smaller. And digital subscriptions are going up 31% a year. Um, two thirds of our subscribers are now digital. Um, and we get a lot of corporate subscriptions. So this is a bank like UBS buying a subscription for all of its bankers, for all of its employees. Um, and finally, um, I don't have my phone on, on me, it's in my pocket, but it's a uh, mobile is the name of the game. 62% of our subscribers are reading the FT on the move, on tablets, on mobile phones, on iPads. A few years ago, we thought it was all going to be on PCs and people would be reading the FT on their PCs 
in their rooms at, their, at work. Um, they're not. They're reading it in sh on this. And what we're doing is trying to make sure that we can format the FT for this and try and turn that into this, which believe, you know, for those of you with a te technical background know that that is bloody difficult. Um, so the business model is, is difficult. Most people haven't managed to find out how a news you can produce a newspaper and a website and have a business model for that. Um, so what I'm going to do now in the time left for me, which is about 20 minutes, is just go through some slides to show you um, what our strategy is um, and how we're moving from a traditional model, which we were in as 10 years ago, not very long ago, into a much stronger new model. There's a lot of curiosity about what we've been doing um, around the world, and there's been quite a lot of skepticism as well. So um, I'm not here to evangelize about the FT, so you're, you know, I'm very happy to take questions about what we've, what we've done wrong. But the editor puts out a, a, a note to staff every six months, and this is basically to kind of give a roadmap of where we're headed because everyone wants to know in, inside the FT where we're headed. Do we have a future? And the last one he put out, which was um, actually a year, a year ago in June last year, he talked about having a digital first strategy at the paper and it went viral. It got picked up everywhere. It got, you know, it got translated into 30 different languages. This is a newspaper editor's email to staff. That was all. It was not for, we didn't publicize it externally, but lots of people in the, in the media industry were trying to find out what we were doing. Um, and I think what you'll see, some people might think it's a bit like science fiction, but I think it has, it has uh, relevance to a lot of markets across the world. And if you are in a print market now, you can probably sustain that for another couple of decades. But I think a lot of the things that we're encountering are coming to you pretty fast. Um, so the FT's future, if I haven't made that point already, is very much a digital one. And what we're trying to do is accelerate our digital subscribers as fast as we can, while trying to halt the decline of the newspaper. We want the newspaper to hang around. It's at about 240,000 print sales at the moment. We're read most in Europe, in continental Europe. That's where our largest market is. Our second largest market is the UK. Our third largest market is the US. And our fourth largest market is Asia. Um, and it goes in that order. So more people read the FT outside of the UK than inside the UK. And it's been like that for quite a long time. Um, let's start. Um, with a little question, in case you've fallen asleep already. Um, there are three categories here. Um, where would you, you've only had five seconds to look at this, but where would you place the FT? In which category? Group three. Good answer. That's, that's yeah. Anyone, any other takers? Group one. <laughs> okay, the answer is group one. But when I first saw this slide, I put myself in group three as well, because I wanted to be modern and <laughs> smart and uh, IT-like. Um, 
I think we'd like to place ourselves in that in that in that uh, in that column. But in fact, we are in Group One. Uh, group One is brands that have been around for over 125 years. Um, in fact, so we are all of a you know the Financial Times is a venerable institution, a bit like Coca-Cola and Heinz and Tiffany, um, but would like to be as cool and uh, uh, futuristic as three. What you don't want to be is in group two, because group two is, is companies that didn't see the future coming, Kodak in particular, and have gone bust. And if you, you know, as a journalist, you need to think a lot about group two and how to not, not go there. Um, a glance to the past, um, the FT was launched in uh, 1888, it's important to have the historical perspective uh, to know where you're going from here, but this is what was happening when the FT launched. Uh, the pneumatic tyre was invented, the box camera went into production, someone came up with the biro, you know, the ballpoint ball pen, Lawrence of Arabia was born. Mahatma Gandhi um, went to London uh, from Mumbai to study law, and Queen Victoria was on the throne. Um, of its day, the FT was Google and BuzzFeed and Instagram. It was, it was big then. Um, and uh, the reason why it found a market in the first place was that uh, London was a, a den of thieves and rogues and speculators and there was an awful lot of poor information around and people lost a lot of money trading on poor information. So someone had the bright idea to launch something that you could trust, a trusted guide, real information, accuracy, um, stuff you could trade on, make money out of. And uh, it's what people wanted and it's survived. So, this is the leap in one slide that we've made. This is 126 years expressed in a slide. Um, on the left is the first edition of the FT. Um, and in it, you can't see it, but if you went a bit closer, you would. Uh, there are stories about the copper price, new wealth in emerging markets, worries about banks, and Prussia. <laughs> now, on the right, it looks very different, but there are lots of similarities. Stories about the copper price, new wealth in emerging markets, worries about banks and Germany, and uh, now all presented in a, in a much more friendly to the eye visual form, digital format. And the form and delivery of our journalism is undergoing as big a change this year than it has in 126 years. So John likes to make this uh, point about the revolutionary moment in the media, but we are in a Gutenberg press moment right now in terms of how we deliver information and news. And there it is. And I dare say that in 2016, it will look completely different um, again. But essentially what keeps um, the relevance of the FT is exactly the same as the principles on the first day of publication, which was accuracy, integrity, real information, um, people you could trust. Um, slide three. Things are changing really rapidly. Um, you know, read all about it. Every day, something strange, amazing happens. Uh, there are just a few of them, and there are going to be a lot more of it. There's lots of froth and consolidation and new buyers and 
the convergence of IT and news, old brands, new brands, but I'll just pick out one, which is one that we got chatting about a lot last year, which is Amazon and the idea that the everything store could buy the Washington Post. Unthinkable a few years ago, you know, but now very possible. And you'll probably see more of that, I dare say, of the Googles, the Facebooks, big IT companies getting more and more interested in content creators and their owners, um, like the Graham family, kind of being prepared to exit and uh, hand over their intellectual wealth. Um, old media is struggling badly. If you do not modernize, if you aren't in newsrooms that are really grappling with this stuff, for God's sake, change employers, change jobs, do something. Um, this is the UK, it, well, there's a bit of US there as well, but it looks bad. You know, people who've stuck with, with, with the newspaper model too long or who are giving away free content are losing a lot of money. And it's been made worse by the state of the global economy um, an aversion to investment, but old media is declining very, very rapidly. What's to blame? Um, it's the slide on the right that matters most. Um, we call it, I mean, central bankers forgive me, but the secular decline of advertising, which is uh, essentially print advertising has, has been falling and pretty rapidly since, you know, in the first, in, in the noughties, really, it started happening. But people are, you know, people used to love, actually today's a little bit of an exception, it feels like the old days. Um, but you can get some, maybe it's in the second section, but, oh no, it's a house ad. Um, but these, this sort of advertisement, the full page ad used to be what paid journalist salaries at the FT, and it was usually Merrill Lynch or Bank of America or HSBC or, large financial institution that would take out this sort of big advertisement. They've largely gone, actually. And they've gone from not just the FT, they've gone from everywhere. Um, and in the FT's case, they've been replaced by luxury advertising. And particularly in the weekend FT. So, you know, in, out went the banks, in came Louis Vuitton um, and lots of Swiss watch companies. And thank God for them. <laughs> and the effect of less print advertising has had an effect on the newsroom workforce, um, where essentially you have what we estimate to be about a 30% decline um, in numbers. Essentially what you're seeing is the decline in advertising is having a correlation with um, jobs and newsroom jobs. And as advertising falls, so does journalist jobs. Yeah, and I, and I think that in the, you know, in, the, in the future, if you get the digital model right, then of course there will be, I mean, I feel that every day. As soon, if we're doing a bit better, you feel you can hire. And if you feel, and this, this is a very sensitive measure because, you know, we hire, possibly about five external journalists a year at the FT. Um, and if there is more money um, available, then you would hire more. 
and you feel that immediately. I mean, it's a very it it transmits very very um, quickly into the newsroom, and that's what that shows. I think just how sensitive that is. Um, five trends for a global media organisation. I mean, we've covered print to digital, the rise of mobile. What we haven't covered is the use of web analytics. What we never had in the newspaper were the tools to measure how much is read, by whom, what is read, and even why. And now we have an analytics team at the Financial Times which basically can tell you pretty well everything you need to know about how our content is consumed. I'll come on to that. I've talked about engagement with readers. Um, this is that our journalists now talk to the reader um, in a much more um, discussion-based way than they ever were encouraged to before. And of course, social media. Now, social media doesn't make us any money, but it's important as an opinion maker and former to be out there on social media. And we encourage every single one of our journalists um, at every point in their career to get to grips with social media. And we have master classes on social media um, to try and help people tell people what they're doing. And then finally, the broadcast schedule. That sounds esoteric, um, but that is about um, not publishing to UK uh, deadlines. The milestones that we've crossed recently, content revenue surpassing advertising revenue, digital subs higher than newspaper subscriptions to 415,000, and print circulation becoming profitable, interestingly, for the first time in decades. And that's because we've reduced our print circulation and uh, focused on selling it in places, uh, major financial centers, where um, uh, the distribution costs are not enormous. And we made a mistake by trying to becoming a pan-American newspaper and it cost us a lot of money and we've had to had to draw in our circulation in the US um, to help us have a profitable circulation there. That was the moment in 2012 that uh, our digital subscriptions surpassed our print ones. It's a big moment um, and it helped change views in the newsroom because everyone until that point thought that they were a newspaper journalist and now they read now they realize they're no longer just a newspaper journalist and that's big this is the dashboard um i won't go through all of them but the main thing is that all the lines are kind of going up uh which is unusual but you'll see that we're trying to reach a 10 percent profit margin this year um, traditionally, the FT was run a bit like the civil service. It was okay to have 2%, 3% profit margins for years. Uh, we are owned by Pearson. It's an education publisher um, that owns Penguin. Uh, they didn't really aggressively manage us. Um, it is doing so now. But also, you can see that our record for paid circulation, the top left there, essentially you're getting more and more readers of the FT. Um, who are prepared to pay for it. I've talked about mobile. Everything we do now is really geared to finding a way of being read more on mobile devices um, and formatting the FT for those mobile devices. I talked about short-form journalism. 
that's why short form journalism is important because it hooks people into us to a story. Um, you can see there, you know, 60% of subscriber consumption is now on these devices. That really says the same thing. But what's that? That is highlighting there is something like Fast FT, which is something that we launched last year, which is a real time um, FT. Um, news service that essentially, you know, we used to define ourselves as not wire journalists, but in fact there is a need to be faster, to be quicker with the news, and to break news quicker, and that is Fast FT. This is to illustrate the multiple channels that we're now looking at. Um, Samsung Smart TV app the Mercedes-Benz text-to-voice car app, um, FT Weekend app, the redesigned Android app, um, responsive design platform. This is a completely different language for journalists of my age. I think, you know, I'm, I'm at the age where computers just were being introduced to my school um, when I was there. And, you know, I, there's a whole new vocabulary around journalism and um, how to present it and that captures it really and you know there's only one line that's the old world there and it says refreshed FT newspaper <laughs> which is a, a, a redesign of the paper to make it look fresher and to show that we're still investing in it. What it means in the newsroom um, I've said we've got lots of new jobs so I've talked about fast FT, but you've got live de a live desk, you've got data journalists, you've got interactive graphics. The jobs we're hiring for at the moment are video. And uh, we're looking for video um, journalists. Um, we're going, moving to digital first, so that's earlier publishing. We're not waiting till the evening to print the paper or to get our stories in. We want stories from now. The news, the news editor of the paper used to saunter in at about 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, for a meeting that took place at 11 a.m. He's now in at 7.30 every morning. Um, you know, it's... It's, <laughs> it's the same person. It's, it's, well, there's been a few generations in between there. But, it, but it's the same. It's, it, he's been in the job a while. Um, but he's... And he, funny enough, he did that from his own... He just realised that the, kind of, the game was changing and he decided to do it because he also has to give an example to all the other journalists because, likewise, they were sauntering at 10 a.m. in the morning um, and kind of going home at 8. Um, production resources, we move it into the day. We're not so interesting, interested in night publication any longer. So we have a whole infrastructure which is all about deadlines and editions that go on until, if needs be, 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, we now do the bulk of, the bulk of our work is now finished by 8.30 p.m. And we've really, we're really radically cutting back on the number of additionalized, bits of additionalizing and tweaking and that we do late into the night. We used to have multiple editions that went, you know, on a normal thing, basically to about 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. That's how long, how you could update the newspaper. Now the bulk of the work is done at 8.30, and then there are changes up till about 12.30. That's it. We tried to simplify the newspaper. The Financial Times was one of the most complicated newspapers in the world to produce about 10 years ago. It's fast becoming one of the simplest newspapers to produce. Um, and finally, almost one in four of our journalists changed job last year. So 
we're changing what people do. We're saying, you know, you used to be the transport correspondent. We don't want the transport correspondent any longer. We want you on the live desk. And, you know, we are changing the jobs. You know, we had beats, we had silos, people plowed their furrow. You could be the manufacturing correspondent of the FT for your whole lifetime. Um, if you wanted to be. It's all, we're now encouraging people to go into different jobs um, and digital jobs. No, we believe in the principle that you can pretty well, you, we have a thing where we rotate people every four to five years. So we believe that if you are an FT journalist, you should be able to write about pretty well everything. Um, and we like to move people and have them at the edge of their knowledge, working at the edge of their knowledge. Now, over a career, you get someone who has a very good global perspective. And people like John and myself have benefited from that. We've worked in lots of different places across the world and we kind of get, a, get some perspective. Now, we have the use of web analytics. Uh, I've got a couple of slides just to show this. This is, a, this is a slide that we call the long tail. It doesn't say that on there, but it's called the long tail. The long tail, um, this is the long tail. And people use it for different, people have different, long tails also used in different contexts. But long tail is the long tail of copy that we publish that nobody reads. <laughs> and we have to stop publishing some of this copy. <laughs> some of it is important because in, you know, in 10 years time you look back at it and say, well actually the FT called the financial crisis of 2008 in 2004 because there was a little story that nobody read, but <laughs> someone pulled it. But we produce a lot of stuff that no one reads. And that isn't good. We need to concentrate on the 20% of our content that people read like really intensively. You know, they're really eating the stuff. <clears throat> like this, I'm afraid, and some of the transport stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but the things are so, we've developed these systems to monitor this that are really very sensitive. So you can pretty well, you know, you can tell by the minute what's being read. Um, this is just to show you that it breaks down, you know, you can zoom in on, again, very simply, the stuff on this side is good, the stuff on this side could do better. So, I, you know, you asked me what's not being read. I would worry about UK companies here, I'd worry a bit about our retail coverage here. Um, but people read us a lot for financials, so banks, financial services. They're reading us a lot for our US coverage banks, European companies. Um, but you can break this down. I mean, this is just one slide of a set of about 30 um, to show you what's above and below the line in terms of our coverage. And this is the sort of science fiction-y part of what we do now, because what we don't want to do is edit by numbers. I mean, you have to have your gut instinct as a journalist is what's important. But the numbers can guide you. I mean, they can give you a sense of what's um, being read. We, are, we understand much better the rhythm of readership um, when people read us online at what time of the day. So what that tells you there is that people, this is, this is GMT, people don't read us at night. And you're going to see a big slide that illustrates this very well in a moment. They kind of read us in the morning, for a morning read. So if your site is very static around here, readers kind of get irritated because it looks as if you're asleep. And if it's very excited around here, then you've got, you're not doing the right thing because people aren't reading. So you've got to hit this morning 
this that morning thing there. And you can see it also Sunday night, funny enough, it's Sunday afternoon night is a really big moment for the FT readership. Because people are kind of they're that just makes sense, you're preparing for, for the, the next, next week. Day. Yeah. yeah. They're kind of getting James, um, when uh, when you used to file to the FT uh, to a copy ticket, halfway through the audience used to say, Is there much more of this? <laughs> <laughs> Is there much more of this? <laughs> I think I'm almost on the last slide. <laughs> Social media I've spoken about. This is the penultimate slide. Um, this is the most, probably the most important slide that we work with or that we've produced over the last two years. And this shows you when we publish. This is the hours of the day on this axis. And this is how much <coughs> new content we're putting onto the site. So it tells you that we're pretty dormant here. This, is, this, is, this has changed. We were dormant here. We were then putting a, this on the bar chart. We were then putting a mother load of content in the evenings when people were eating their suppers and going home, commuting, whatever. Um, but the shady bits are when people read us most. So we had an almost inverse relationship between when we were publishing and when we were being read. And the single biggest thing we're trying to do is bring these things together and trying to publish. When I said that guy's coming in at 7.30, he's coming in at 7.30 because he knows that the people are online with us in that window. And the most important part of his day is until 11 a.m. in the morning. Um, that's right, this is, yeah, sorry, it should be a.m. This is, this is basically the, the, yeah, when the readers are here most, and it's, we reckon it's between this 5 a.m and roughly 8.30 a.m. Um, GMT, that is. And we have three spikes. One is breakfast time UK. One is lunchtime UK, which is also breakfast time US. And then finally, um, lunchtime US, that is. That's not UK readers. Mm. That's American readers. And last slide John don't worry this is the end um, we've also realized that we need to do much more than journalism it's not just about writing stories and printing them it's about getting into education and getting into what we I've called it events there but you could call it theatrical journalism um, which is kind of what I'm doing now um, in a digital age, people want to meet people face to face. There's no substitute for that. And we've realized that you have to put Martin Wolf in a room with 300 people. And he has to travel the globe and he has to talk to people. And that is part of his job as an FT journalist. <laughs> but there's also, because we're owned by Pearson, which is an education company, they're very keen on us going into areas like executive coaching, um, ftchinese.com the FT is used as a, as a language tool because it, we write very accurately we try to have you know, a, you know, the best English we can possibly produce um, that's the last slide <laughs> the top thing, most important thing is build a strong and sustainable business that's tops there Quality content, 
multiple channels, community and engagement, words we never used in journalism, which we now use every day, education, and finally, investing in journalists, because we still very much a people business, and there's still, in spite of everything I've said, there's not much um, to beat a single person with a notebook and a pen. And that's who we have in Sevastopol right now, reporting on the story. It's still that, still witness, and it's still writing. Thank you. Thank you.